Well, good morning, East Campus. Uh, it's a joy to be with you this morning and to gather together in worship and to celebrate all that Jesus has done on our behalf. Uh, my name is John McHale, and I serve as one of the pastors at Parkview, and it's my joy and privilege today to open up uh, God's Word. Every uh, fall, we uh, kind of grease the gears a little bit and revisit and clarify our vision and mission. And so we've been in a series called Gather, Grow, Go. Our vision uh, as a church is to pursue Jesus in everyday life. We want to see every person of Parkview be in hot pursuit of Jesus in all of life. That all of their life would be given to a pursuit of Jesus Christ, his person and his work. And we believe to accomplish that, that it, it is important for us to be gathering and growing and going. And we've spent two weeks looking at the first two, gather and grow. And this week, we're going to look at the go. What does it look like for the church to go on mission? And we're going to be in Acts 1. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Acts 1, a little bit about the book of Acts uh, before we read our text. Um, Acts is actually the second part of one big book. Luke Acts. One author and one main story, predominant story, and the Gospel of Luke is one of the four Gospels. That's the first part, and Acts is really the second part to the same story. Luke is one of the four Gospels, and it basically captures the life and teachings of Jesus. All that Jesus did, uh, well, not all of it, some of it, and some of what he taught um, and then Acts is unique because it's all about the beginning of the Christian movement. Acts basically gives us the story after Jesus goes back to the Father, how does Christianity begin? What are its origins? And if you read the whole book of Acts, what you would discover is that some major themes in our passage today are throughout the entire book. And those themes are the mission of the church, and the significant role of the Holy Spirit in accomplishing that mission. So that's what we're going to see as we study Acts 1, starting in verse 1 through 11. And so let's read our passage this morning, starting in verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray together and ask God's help as we study this important passage. Father, we, uh, we have already been preparing our hearts to hear from you. I pray even as we begin to study this passage that you would continue to cultivate in us a healthy expectation to meet with you. I pray that you would pour out more of your spirit upon us as we gather together in worship, as we sing our songs, as we hear the preaching of your word, and as we partake in the bread and the cup, symbolize your broken body 
the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus. Help us in this time, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So one of the joys of my life, one of the greatest joys of my life is being married to a strong, gifted woman like Mary. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my wife's name is Mary. We've been married about eight years, and it's just, it's been a blast. It's been a lot of work, but every day, every season feels like it get, gets better and better. But I can remember in those early years how challenging it was to learn how to do life with another person. Mary came into marriage with a whole set of different experiences than I did. She grew up in an entirely different family that had different values, that had different practices, that had different convictions. She's wired differently than I am. And so making decisions with another person who is totally different is hard. It was so, so hard. As a single person, I used to really just have to have a conversation with myself. You know? You, you have a conversation with yourself, and you kind of do what you think is right. And honestly, the conversation probably more often than, than not was not a long conversation. And sometimes it, I didn't even have one. I just kind of slid into a decision. It's just kind of the way I'm wired. Kind of go with the flow. But in marriage, it was all different. There had to be a series of discussions. There had to be research done. There had to be this opportunity to make sure that we're both on the same page before we made a decision. In marriage, it's so important that you are unified in making decisions. There's a classic kind of argument that happens in marriage that has happened in my own marriage, and it goes something like this. You'll get to maybe a day of the week or an area or a topic and Mary would look at me and say, wait a second, what are we doing here? What's happening? I don't remember saying we could invite that person over. I don't remember talking about that purchase. And my response would be something like, I'm pretty sure we talked about this. I remember talking about this. And Mary, her paraphrase of her response might be something like, you talked about it. We did not talk about it. It's so important to be on the same page, to be unified in marriage. In our passage today, we're going to find this same relational dynamic as we think about mission. As God's people seek to accomplish God's mission, they must go in relationship with the Holy Spirit. God's people, we at Parkview East, as we go, we must be unified with the Spirit of God. We must be on the same page as the Spirit. And what we're going to see in Acts 1 is that the mission to go is fully dependent upon the influence and power of the Holy Spirit. We must be connected to the Spirit in order to accomplish God's mission. Because we all know the temptation is to do mission without the Spirit. To believe the lie that we are sufficient, that we are adequate for the task. We know the strategies. Most of us know them. Most of us know our Bibles pretty well. We know the scripts. We know what we need to say, what not to say. And if we're not careful, we can begin to engage mission without the Spirit. Without ever having a conversation with the Spirit of God. And Acts 1 is going to help us in this category. Acts 1 is going to help us, one, to understand the significance of the influence of the Spirit. We're going to learn how, what it looks like to give space for the Spirit to influence our mission. We're also going to see the source of our power as we witness to the world, as we bear witness to what Jesus has done on our behalf. We're going to understand where is the power coming from for that witness. And then lastly, we're going to look at our motivation to go on mission. Why do we, over time, keep pursuing mission? And so let's look at the first, the influence of the Spirit. The influence of the Spirit comes through waiting. Look at verse 4. It says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. 
For John baptized with water, and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus orders them to wait. He says, don't go. You think about gather, grow, don't go. This is what Jesus is advocating for here. And what he's doing is he's helping us understand the significant role of the Holy Spirit in accomplishing the Great Commission. And he's implying our inability to accomplish it. Essentially, what he's saying is, if you guys go without the Spirit, you're going nowhere. You will accomplish nothing. You will fumble. You must wait for the Holy Spirit. And theologically speaking, this happens, we believe this happens at conversion. When a person repents of sin and believes in the finished work of Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells that person. But there also is an ongoing influence of the Spirit in a person's life. There's an ongoing relationship. We talk a lot about having a personal relationship with Jesus, but we ought to just as much talk about having a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because a mission without the Spirit is going nowhere. It's set up to fail. There's a fantastic article uh, by a philosopher, a theologian named Francis Schaeffer. And the title of it is The Lord's Work in the Lord's Way. And he gets at this idea of waiting. He says this, Doing the Lord's work in the Lord's way is not a matter of being saved and then simply working hard. After Jesus ascended, the disciples waited quietly in prayer for the coming of his Spirit. Their first motion was not toward activism. They weren't thinking, Christ is risen, now let us be busy. If we who are Christians, and therefore indwelt by the Spirit, are to preach to our generation with tongues of fire, we must also have something more than activism, which men can easily duplicate. We must know something of the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're after. If our mission is going to make a difference, it's going to be tapped in to the Holy Spirit. It's going to be influenced and shaped by the Holy Spirit. It's going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. I can remember a while ago, I was at Terry Trueblood uh, having some personal solitude and prayer time in my car. Um, kind of had snuck away, and I was in a season where I was reflecting on Galatians 5. And Galatians 5 is all about the Holy Spirit, having a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And not so much in the category of mission, but in the category of Christian life, of bearing the fruits of the Spirit. And Paul talks about, in that passage, he talks about, he uses language like, walk by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. And I can remember, out loud, asking God to show me. Lord, I, what does this look like? I don't understand. What does this look like? And I'll never forget, I opened my eyes, and on the path right in front of me was a runner and a biker, totally in sync, and they were talking. And I thought to myself, that is such a helpful image about what it looks like to stay in sync with the Spirit. If two people who are moving in very different ways but are totally in sync, the biker could easily take off and go way faster than the runner. But the biker has restricted himself to stay near to the runner, to have a conversation with the runner. And when we think about mission, when we think about going as a people, we must realize the insidious temptation to go in the flesh and not in the spirit. This is functioning in a way that suggests we believe we're sufficient for the task. Believing we're adequate to accomplish this. It's not something that we think or we would articulate or even say to our friends. We can say, man, I got this. I can do this. But we, we function as if we believe that because we've never paused to allow the Holy Spirit to shape and redirect what we're doing. It's in a sense 
like the biker just taking off and being like, I got this. I'm going to go. You might be thinking, man, I already feel insufficient. I already feel inadequate. You don't need to tell me that. I get it. And the point is to say, good, that's what, that's what you should be feeling. And I think sometimes when we share these feelings with our friends or in a community group, what oftentimes can happen is we encourage people and say, no, you're, you're so gifted. You know your Bible well. You're going to do a great job. And really what we should be saying is, you're right. We're not adequate for the task. We're not sufficient for the task. Take those feelings and go to God. Take those feelings and go to the Holy Spirit because we're never going to do this thing without His power. But what does it look like to wait for the Holy Spirit? It's not like kind of set your timer for 40 minutes and then go have a conversation with your neighbor, sit at your kitchen table and just kind of sit and just wait. What does it look like? Waiting for the Spirit in our going is making space for the Spirit to, to affirm, to redirect, to correct, to challenge what we think might be right. That happens in prayer. It's giving space for the Holy Spirit. Lord, I, I think this is what I should do. It feels right. It feels strategic. It feels like it makes sense. But I offer it to you. Help me in this process. Affirm this or redirect it. It's going to people in your community who are also indwelled by the Spirit and saying, hey, I think I need to have this conversation with my neighbor. Would you pray about that and, and come back and help me? Tell me if the Lord has revealed anything to you. It's a diligent study of Scripture. If our mission is going to be in step with the Spirit, aligned with the Spirit of God, it's going to be aligned with Scripture. It's making space for the Spirit to direct and redirect our strategy, our conversations, how we might bear witness to Christ. But it's also having an ongoing dialogue with the Spirit. It's also kind of having that ongoing dependence upon the Spirit. I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation where you, you're talking with someone and it's going well, and then all of a sudden they bring something up, and you're like a deer in headlights. What do I do? I have no idea how to engage that topic. I have no idea what to say to that. It's in those moments recognizing that the, the Spirit of God is accessible. It's opening yourself up and saying, Lord, I have no idea what to say to this. I got nothing. Would you help me in this moment? And he loves to show up in those moments. And he might actually give you confidence just to say, I don't know. And that might lead into a conversation that you never thought you would get into. The Holy Spirit of God is influential. And he is more concerned about the mission of God than we are. And we must be tapped into his influence if we're going to accomplish the Great Commission. So the influence of the Spirit comes through waiting. What about the source of our power for witnessing to the world? You might assume what's coming, but the source of our power for witnessing to the world is the Holy Spirit. We're seeing a theme here, right? The Holy Spirit of God is the source of our power. Look at verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. The disciples ask a thoughtful question here. They're on the Mount of Olives. We read later in the, this chapter that they're on the Mount of Olives overlooking the city of Jerusalem. And they're talking about the coming of the Spirit. 
This was a thoughtful question. It, it, makes, it makes some sense. And Jesus answers the question and reshapes their theology in two ways. One of focus and one of scope. Under focus, Jesus reshapes and retweaks what they're, what they're asking by saying, hey, you don't need to focus on when this is going to happen. Don't worry. Don't fill your head with worrying about when this is going to happen. All you need to focus on is your witness to the world. All you need to understand is that the Holy Spirit will empower you to be my witnesses. And what happens is there's a reshaping of their theology at this point. God is, is helping, Jesus is helping them understand that part of God restoring a fallen world is a time when sinners will bear witness to the gospel. And this is something we see all throughout scripture, that there will be a time when sinners who have been saved by grace through faith will bear witness to the gospel, will bear witness to the power of the cross and the resurrection. But he also reshapes their theology in the area of scope. The scope of God's mission is global, universal. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. God's heart has always been for all nations. The scope of his mission is global, not national. We see this throughout the whole Bible. If you look at the end of the Bible, Revelation, we see this vision of heaven where people from every tongue, tribe, and nation are worshiping the Lamb. This is the heart of God. We see it in the beginning of the Bible when God makes a covenant with Abraham. He says, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. God's heart has always been for all nations to come and worship him, to come and experience reconciliation through the finished work of Jesus Christ. These shifts are huge, theologically, but also practically. And we stand back and we wonder, how can we accomplish this? How can we do this? You're talking about a global movement where we are bearing witness to Jesus? This term, witness, it's a courtroom term. And you, you probably are very familiar, I don't know, we, we watch a lot of uh, law and order shows. And so we, like witness, I get the whole courtroom scene. But a witness is someone who is an eye, eyewitness. They give eyewitness testimony to something they've seen or heard. And it's typically used to kind of corroborate a person's argument or a person's case. And so this makes the disciples great candidates to bear witness to Jesus. Because they had seen Jesus in the flesh. They saw him do miraculous things. They saw him engage the poor and spend time with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. They saw his heart for people. But they also heard his teachings. They saw and heard, and so they're great candidates to bear witness to Jesus. But the thing about a witness is it's very important that they're credible. And so when a witness gets on the stand, and they, they might actually have seen something really, really important or heard something really, really important, but if their credibility is questioned and corrupted, their testimony is really not that great. And the disciples were really not that credible in the first century. These guys were low on the totem pole. They were fishermen and tax collectors. And so when they would get up and bear witness to Jesus, people were like, ah, should I believe the fishermen or the, the, the Bible scholar? They weren't as credible. Now we too, as people who have been washed and cleansed from our sin, we have been reborn by the Spirit of God. We too can bear witness to Jesus. We can bear witness to what he has done in our life. If you're a Christian, I guarantee there have been things that have happened to you, things that you've seen, things that have just, like your life just never ended up the way you thought it would. Your heart is different than it was 
before you knew the Lord. Hey, I, I, used to, I used to not give any thought to other people. My whole life was given to myself. All of my money was for me. And now, I actually have a heart and a genuine love for my neighbor. And that's of Jesus. There are ways that we can bear witness to what God has done in our life. But at the same time, we're really not that credible. We've, we've, get, we've made mistakes. Our life does not look like it should. In our culture, we're not credible. We are social outcasts. We're considered bigots and hypocrites. But here's the thing. Our power does not come from our credibility. Our power comes from the Holy Spirit of God. We wonder why, how, how did these first century people believe a bunch of fishermen? Because the Holy Spirit of God empowered their witness. And they were able to see the risen Christ. They were able to believe in the cross because the Holy Spirit was empowering their witness. And so I don't know if maybe there's a conversation that you might be in where you kind of are just a little angsty about flying the Jesus flag. Kind of like, I don't know, I, I'm pretty sure I know how this is going to be received. Uh, this person, uh, they, they ascribe to these set of beliefs. They have this poster up on their wall. They're, uh. But it's not about our credibility. Our credibility is not what establishes our witness. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we can trust the Spirit and just testify to what Jesus has done. Bear witness to it. Don't do it with fear. Do it with confidence that the, the Lord is where our power comes from. And then lastly, let's look at our motivation. Our motivation to go on mission. What is, what is going to keep us really invested over the long haul? What's going to keep us pursuing the Spirit? Our motivation to go on mission is the real, exalted Christ and the expectation of his return. Our passage ends with the disciples just staring into the sky. Check it out in verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heavens as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? <laughs> what a funny question. What are you looking at? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is no ordinary departure for Jesus. This was the final moment that he shared with his followers. And it's often referred to as the ascension of Jesus. And it should be understood as one of a series of movements that represent the exaltation of Jesus. Jesus died on a cross to bear the penalty for our sin. And he was buried in a tomb and he was sealed in that tomb. And on the third day, God raised him back to life. His heart beat again. Blood ran through his veins. And he was raised to life in glory. And he appears in his resurrected glory to many different groups over a series of weeks. And ultimately, as we find in our passage, he goes back to the Father ultimately to sit at the right hand of God and establish his reign and rule over the earth by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God connects us to this throne room, to this, this place, this spiritual dimension where Jesus is enthroned in all of his glory, in all of his majesty, reigning and ruling. The Holy Spirit gives us access to this place. Ultimately, the reason why we go on mission is because Jesus is alive. We believe that. 
We believe that Jesus is alive. There's a real place in real time where the resurrected Lord, fully God and fully man, is alive. We believe that. He is exalted. And he has also promised to return. There's a man that was very influential in my life. Uh, his name was Steve Harden. Uh, just crazy dude. Um, not your typical pastor. And he, he said it like this. He said, when the king returns, we must be found being about his work. Let us not delay. Our motivation for mission is the reality of the exalted Christ. It's realizing that Jesus is alive. It's believing that. This is our motivation. Remembering that Christ is exalted in heaven. But it's also the expectation that one day he will return. That he is coming back. This motivates, this should grip us. One of the, uh, the most exciting times in the life of a young family, and, and I kind of speak from experience a little bit, but one of the most exciting times in a young family is getting ready for a new baby. Especially if it's your first baby. Because there's a lot of prep work. You've got to get the right stuff. You know, you've got to get the best stroller. You want to have a crib. You've got to make sure that the diaper bag's a huge thing. You know, that's, that's kind of a status thing. Got to have a good diaper bag. There's a lot of work and a lot of planning and a lot of preparation that goes into getting ready for the baby. But there's also the reality of the baby, right? We know there's a day when the baby is coming, but there's also a reality that the baby's already here, right? And mom knows that better than anyone. Her body's changing. She feels the baby kicking. There's a reality that there's a baby. There's a new person coming into the family. And ultimately, there's a day when that baby is going to arrive. This is kind of like what we're talking about when we talk about our motivation to go on the mission. Our motivation is there is a reality that something happened 2,000 years ago. There's a reality that Jesus did what he said he did and that he is alive right now in resurrected glory, that he is reigning and ruling over the earth. How could we explain anything different but also, there is an expectation that he is coming. That one day, we will meet him face to face. Have you ever thought about that meeting? Have you ever thought about that moment when you will meet Jesus? What, what will run through your head in those moments? Have you ever thought about the actual real place real time where Jesus is on his throne, exalted in all of his glory. This ought, these reflections ought to motivate us. <clears throat> and not because there are justification. We're not saying that you better, get, you better get going on mission because Jesus is going to show up pretty disappointed with you. No. We know that we are who we are because of Christ. That when we meet Jesus, he will meet us with a smile on our face. If you are covered by his blood, if you are reborn by the Spirit of God, Jesus is going to look at you with delight. But there's also a part of our relationship to Jesus. As we love him, we want to serve him. We want to give our lives. We want to pour our lives out for the sake of mission. That's what we're talking about. We want to we end our time on the earth and just be like, hey, I left it all on the table. I left it all out there. I got nothing left. I used to run cross country, and it was the worst feeling when you'd get to the end of the race, and you'd be like, I got something left in the tank. We don't want to have that feeling when we get to the end of our time, when we meet Jesus in the air. These reflections and realities, they should cultivate joy that Jesus is real, that he is delighting over us through the gospel, that he has paid the price for our sin, and he is interceding for us even now with the Father. We should cultivate joy, hopeful expectation that Jesus will return. This is what motivates our mission. 
So that's, that's our hope as a church. We talk about why, why, how we're going to accomplish our vision as a church. We're going to gather, we're going to grow, and we're going to go. And our going on mission is fully dependent upon the Spirit. And so we want to be a people that are learning what it looks like to be dependent on the Spirit. What does it look like to give the Spirit influence on our mission? As we go into our workplace, as we think about mission as a community group, as we think about even having a presence on the southeast side, have we allowed the Spirit to influence, to shape, to redirect, to correct how we're trying to accomplish the Great Commission? But also, we always want to remember that the source of our power is not our credibility. We're not, we're not trying to be the best kind of people we can be, the nicest people on the block. I mean, we want to be kind. I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't be kind. We want to grow in Christ-likeness, but we must always remember that the source of our power in our witness is the Holy Spirit. He took fishermen, he took tax collectors and used their witness to start this whole movement so he can use people like us. And then we must just remember and reflect on the reality of Jesus exalted on his throne and have this expectation of his return on the front of our minds as we go on mission, as we try and fumble forward and learn how to pour our life out for the sake of his mission. We want to remember that Jesus is real and that he is returning, and that should give us comfort and that should produce joy in us. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we thank you that uh, you are not silent, that you have spoken to us through your word, and that your spirit is ministering to our hearts, helping us connect dots, and really encouraging and motivating us to be a people who are given over to your mission. So I just pray, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would awaken us to your presence. Forgive us for times when we have grieved you, when we have quenched you. That is not our heart. Just pray, God, that you would open our eyes, open our ears to your daily presence and to the frontiers of mission that you have given us. Empower us to be a people that are bearing witness to the finished work of Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.